Today we <clears throat> celebrate the Feast of Trinity Sunday, the Solemnity of the Most Holy Trinity. It's often been titled the Preacher's Nightmare. And the reason it's called that is because it's so difficult to speak about the Trinity. I mean, without the revelation of Jesus, without the coming of the Holy Spirit, without the seeing of the, you know, the understanding of the Father, we never would have been able to guess that God is triune. I mean, we can't even figure ourselves out. Right? And we're just one. Imagine three, three persons subsisting co-eternally in one substance of divinity. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Like, we, we can't even fathom that. So I was saying to the deacon, you know, some people are like, oh, heaven, heaven's just going to be where we just look at God for all eternity. Maybe, yeah, because he's pretty incredible. I, so I didn't know what to speak on, so I just went to the catechism. The catechism simply says this. The mystery of the most holy trinity is the central mystery of the Christian faith. It is the mystery of God in himself. It is, therefore, the source of all other mysteries of faith. The light that enlightens them. So I'm going to ask you a question this morning. How important is the mystery of the most holy trinity? Very. <clears throat> like, it says basically, it's the most important. Now, why? Why is the understanding of God in himself the most important mystery of our faith? Because for Christians, we believe that all of us here in the world are created in the image and likeness of God. If we are therefore created in the image and likeness of God... Then as the Second Vatican Council said, God in Jesus reveals us to ourselves. So if we mess up who God is, we mess up who we are. The understanding of God is fundamental, not only for human beings individually, but for society as, at large. I'm going to give you just a, a couple examples of these. These are two things that we take totally for granted that are completely based on the mystery of the triune God of Christianity. First, when I, by the way, when I say East, I mean the Eastern religions. Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism. When I say West, I'm talking predominantly about Catholicism, Christianity. Okay? In the West, again, we take these for granted. Men and women are created with equal dignity, correct? Head nods? Okay, you know, at least do that. I know it's early, but... Men and women are equal in dignity. That is a Christian concept. This is why atheistic feminism drives me insane. You know, women this, women that, and no, we don't need the church, no God, blah, blah, blah. It's a Christianity that freed women. Prior to Christ, look at the Eastern religions, which were the current, I mean, that was the world. How was it for men and women? It was better for men than it was for women. Until Christ came and said, no, 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 no. You are creating the image and likeness of God. Therefore, man and woman are equal in dignity. As the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are equal in dignity. This whole thing in Minneapolis, if 
if there was a clear, I have a text thread with, with three of my buddies from college. A couple of us are conservative, the other two are pretty liberal. And the text thread is, it's really intense. It gets super long, but with all this stuff with George Floyd and my argument, because we debate on this text thread, which is kind of cool. My argument on this, this text thread is the answer to the racial problem is the Christian society. The deeply rooted in faith Christian society. Because there is no color for Christians. We're all created in the image and likeness of God. We are therefore all of equal dignity. Therefore, the answer to these problems is Jesus. Okay, second thing for the society. Marriage. The idea that marriage is between one man and one woman who are equal in dignity subsist in love and give life that's the trinity our understanding of marriage is built on our understanding of God in the east marriage is a little different because the image of God is different for the Islamic culture God is master, we are slave look at their understanding of marriage the man is master, the woman is slave so we have to get this right because this is how we feed our soul. By understanding who God is so that we can become who we are supposed to be. It's like food. Our, if you notice that people are like obsessed with food. Non-GMO and gluten-free and they'll spend their whole paycheck just to get organic. Now, as a side note, there are people that have dietary issues, etc., etc., and organic, I think, is good, okay? I'm not crazy. But these same people who are watching their diet ridiculously are not watching a thing that they're taking into their soul. They eat religiously to keep the body healthy and forget about keeping the heart healthy, the soul healthy. And if you eat the wrong thing, man... It can be really bad for you. Remember that guy that ate McDonald's for a month? Yeah, he almost died. That can happen in the spiritual life too. So what is the Trinity? So we know what to consume. What is good for our hearts? The Trinity is a communion of persons. It is a relationship of abiding joy and love in which each of the persons pours out themselves to the other. Again, you never look shocked enough as I explain these things. This is the mystery of the Trinity that nobody can explain. This is who we are. We are meant for relationship, for love, and for self-gift. As much as you are living those, you are conforming to, the, to God himself. You are living in the image and likeness of God. Many people, though, don't have joy. They're barely surviving. And remember, the battle in this life is a battle for your joy. Where is the devil trying to rob you? He's trying to rob you of joy. And he's going to do that specifically in your relationships. And how's he going to do it? He's going to do it by convincing you that you were made for things. For fun. And the more you buy into that, the more your relationship will fall apart. And the less joy you will experience. I, my brother and I went to Orlando for vacation in February. And we got to go to Disney World. Been waiting 40 years to go to Disney World. Right? And my brother and I were like little kids. We showed up at Epcot. And we were like, we made it! <laughs> and then 
we went to this ride. If you've ever been to Disney World, it's called Soren. And it's this ride you get on. It. Anyway, we waited for like an hour and a half to get on this ride. Now, as I was waiting in line for an hour and a half, I remember people complain about, you know, church is too long. Church is too long. But an hour and a half to wait in line for a six-minute ride is not too long. And at the end of that ride, I was like, it was okay. It wasn't like epic. And that's nothing. We have the app, the Disney app. It gives you wait times for all the different rides. The Universal Studios, the new Star Wars exhibit, three and a half hours. Three and a half hours people were waiting with their children to go on a ride that was 12 minutes long. When I was in seminary, I went to Cedar Point, Ohio. It's like, back, back in the early 2000s, it was like one of the biggest theme, amusement theme parks, amusement, the roller coasters, big parks, you know? It was like one of the biggest ones in America. They had a brand new ride. It was the fastest, highest roller coaster in the world. It had just opened the week we got there. I sat in line for six hours to go on the roller coaster called Top Thrill Dragster. When we finally got to this thing, I was like, oh my God, we're here. You know? And we're like sitting in it. And I want to explain to you what this roller coaster does. It shoots you from zero to 120 miles an hour in three seconds. And then you go straight at a right angle, completely straight up, 400 feet. And when you get to the top, you spin just really slowly upside down. And then you free fall down and you come to a screeching halt. 15 seconds. I got to the end of that ride and I was like, ah! you know, that's it. And my buddy's like, we got to do it again. And I'm like, no, I am not going to sit. I mean, it was cool. It was like a thrill, but my gosh, we waited six hours for that. But that's the world that we live in. If we get in our hearts and our minds, if I could just get this ride, I'll be satisfied. If I could just get this thing, I'll be happy. And the whole time we're missing the most important thing, which is relationship. Our families, our friends. You were made for so much more than what the world has to give. Fascinating, fun, entertaining, sure. Long-lasting, not at all. God has made you for greatness, for joy, for love. And I want to give you nine ways. Don't worry, I'm just going to read through them. I'm not going to cover each one. Nine ways. I call them nine habits for greatness. I got them at the entry to the church because I know you'll never remember them. So I want you to pick up a sheet of paper and put it on your fridge. And every day when you go to get that cup of coffee and breakfast, read through it. What can I work on today? These are the nine, nine habits. And do this as a family, by the way. Number one, pray daily. I'm not talking just spontaneous prayer. I'm talking a scheduled time of prayer, 15 to 30 minutes every day. Give that at least that much to your creator. Second, stay close to the sacraments, especially mass and confession. Mass every Sunday, every, go every, do you know we have mass every day? You can come to mass every day. 
We have it all over the city. 6.45 a.m. all the way, I think, till 9 a.m. Go to confession once a month. Third, read the scriptures. The Bible is the instruction manual for life. All you need is an open heart. Four, serve. Give of your time, your talent, and your treasure. That doesn't look like he's getting much. He's giving everything. This life, our image and likeness to God is not about getting, it's about giving. Five, stay in shape. I hate this one. Exercise. Sleep. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Treat it as such. Six, run as fast as you can away from the near occasions of sin. Seven, pray like crazy and work hard for good friendships. Virtuous ones are key to the life of holiness. Eight, keep your mind sharp. There is never a, ch- never a time where you should stop learning. So on the back of that sheet of paper, front is the nine habits of greatness. Back, a list of 30 books for you to read. My 30 favorites. You get through that, I'm impressed. I got six more pages. Front and back of books for you to read. You're going to be amazed at the treasure trove and the beauty of your faith, especially when you come to more further understand it. And nine, forgive. Always. Everyone. All the time. There is no easier way to a life of misery than to be bitter and resentful and hold grudges. I promise you, if you, you cultivate these nine habits... You will find joy. You will find lasting happiness. Because you will be living the life. And you will be living in the image and likeness of the one who created you. Live that life. And you will find lasting happiness.